Welcome to Savvy and Sensible with Alvin Randall and Bennett. We're here with ARB's experienced CPAs sharing fresh ideas and guidance so you can make intelligent financial decisions to help your organization thrive. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Holly Ferguson, principal at Alvin Randall and Bennett. And with me today is Dan Doiron, also a principal at Alvin Randall Bennett, to talk to us about what's happening in Congress with the tax bill. Dan? Thanks, Holly, for the opportunity today. So things really continue to be far from settled in Congress regarding what sort of income tax changes are going to get enacted. Been very quiet of uh, recent times with any activity here on a tax bills. It's going to sort of been jammed up in Congress. And many things that we thought were going to be in a tax bill earlier this fall have just dropped away while a few others continue to be around. So for instance, some things that have dropped off are increases in ordinary income tax rates, which there was talk about going to 39.6%, but that's been dropped. So they would stay at 37% uh, under the bill that's currently stuck in Congress. Um, That top rate would have applied um, to married filing joint individuals at 450,000 of income. Uh, whereas it's 628000 currently. So there was sort of a hidden tax increase there in the original proposal, but that has been dropped as well. Um, there was a lot of talk about increasing the highest long-term capital gain and, and qualified dividend rate up to 25% from its current highest rate of 20%. That's been dropped. Um, there was talk about imposing a 3% surtax when adjusted gross income exceeded $5 million. That's been changed um, in a way that uh, is more impactful for people with much higher incomes. So individuals, when their AGI exceeds $10 million under the current proposal, would face a 5% surtax, and individuals, when uh, their AGI exceeds $25 million, would exceed would be assessed an additional 3% surtax, which would get to a total of 8%. So surtax proposals have been adjusted to only impact very, very high income individuals. The problem is that uh, they've instituted similar surtaxes on trusts at income levels that are way, way, way lower than those amounts. So for instance, when a trust hits 250,000 of AGI, they would face this 5% surtax. And when it hits 500,000 of AGI, they would face the additional 3%. So there's there's really a uh, big impact on trusts. But again, this is a proposal stuck in Congress. Don't know if this will really be enacted, but a sort of a, a hidden thing that not a lot of people are talking about. There was also something about a 3.8% tax. Could you tell us about that? Sure, and that is still in the proposal. The 3.8 net investment income tax, some people may call it the Obamacare tax, um, was effective a number of years ago, and they uh, have had talk of expanding that to include income derived in the ordinary course of a trader business. So If you're a business owner uh, with an LLC interest or an S corporation and you're active in that business, you haven't had to pay this 3.8% net investment income tax, Uh, but this proposal would would expand the net on that and and catch you and you would have to pay that tax on your 
business income. Um, in addition, there are a couple of other new things that have popped up in the bill. There's a provision called Section 1202 Gain, kind of a narrow, obscure uh, provision for individuals who invest in a C corporation and meet other certain requirements um, and hold a stock for a certain period of time. Gain can be excluded up to 100% under current law. They would ratchet that provision back to 50% gain exclusion if your adjusted gross income goes over 400000 And sort of piling on the trust again, if you happen to be in a state or trust, it wouldn't matter what your income is. Uh, you would only have the 50% exclusion available to you. There are some efforts underway to try to increase the $10,000 itemized deduction limitation for state and local taxes. Um, the House bill has increased the limit up to 80000 The Senate is kind of silent on this, more of a negotiation standpoint, so we really don't know where that might uh, fall out. But there, there is talk of trying to increase that itemized deduction cap that came into existence back in 2018. That will have a big impact on many individuals. Yeah, particularly small business owners who have flow-through income uh, coming through their personal return, and they pay a huge amount of state income tax on their business income, but have not been able to deduct it federally in recent years. So could you tell us more about what's on the estate and gift tax side of things? Yeah, there was a lot of fear about what might happen on the estate and gift side early on in this process. A lot of proposals that were really quite drastic and sort of scared a lot of people that do estate and gift planning. And um, most notably, and, and sort of as a sigh of relief to a lot of people, just about all of these provisions have just fallen out and are no longer on the table. Uh, but some of the things that they were talking about were decreases to the lifetime exemption. Um, it's currently $11.7 million in 2021. They were going to ratchet that down to $6 million. Uh, that certainly is a provision with a target on its back, in my opinion. Um, the lifetime exemption amount is the amount you can pass gift and estate tax-free to your heirs or uh, whoever you choose to give uh, your estate to. And... Um, it's a, it was increased significantly back in 2018, and at some point it likely will go down, but not under this current bill. It is scheduled to go down in 2025, uh, I believe, at the end of 2025. Um, there were proposals to also eliminate certain gift and estate tax reduction techniques, such as taking valuation discounts in the context of interfamily transfers. Also using a technique called grantor retained annuity trusts, and those have been those eliminations have been pulled back. So people are still able to use these valuation discounts and and to utilize grantor retained annuity trusts as things stand right now. Uh, there was some really scary talk of eliminating step up in basis at date of death to fair market value. Um, and that's a provision that's um, really uh, pro-taxpayer and pro-administration, quite frankly. I think it would be very difficult to administer an estate if you did not get step-up in basis. Uh, the heirs would have to try to figure out the historical cost basis of the decedent. Um, 
and I think it's been tried before in the past and it sort of failed. But they keep bringing it back and trying to replay that movie again. That would have a big impact on family-owned businesses passing from generation to generation. Yeah, uh, no doubt about that. That would have a big impact on a lot of people. And um, thankfully, they've, they've pulled back on that provision. So uh, there was also a provision that would have triggered capital gain recognition at death um, for people passing away for income tax purposes. And that is a provision that was really quite off the wall, something that came out of the blue when it was first proposed. Hadn't really thought about that as being a possibility and haven't seen that uh, raised as a possibility in my uh, years of practicing. But thankfully that has been pulled off the table um, and is not under current consideration to be enacted. So um, we'll see what 2022 brings uh, in terms of tax legislation at the federal level. Some of these ideas could come back. Um, it's, it's the old sausage-making process down there. We're not sure what we're going to get out of it, but at this point in time, that's where things stand. Great. Thank you, Dan, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Savvy and Sensible. Visit us at arbcpa.com for additional resources and to learn more about our services.